screen there being shared. Um, so we're going to consider this uh, new series tonight in the book of Psalms. Uh, we're going to be spending a, a few weeks looking at this uh, this incredible uh, set of books, the, the the chapters within it, and it's going to be the book of praises. That's what Psalm uh, means. This this book itself uh, stems almost 900 years of Jewish history. Uh, there is a large chunk of it written by King David, uh, by Solomon, by Moses, Ezra, and more. Yet, as we know, the ultimate authorship of this book, as all of the books in the Bible, is God. But interestingly, we aren't told the author of this psalm that we're going to look at tonight. But what our psalm does do is present us with a challenge or two. Uh, so let's have a look at what Psalm 1 uh, has to say. So Psalm 1, then, we're just going to read uh, the whole of it. It's a, it's a huge book. All six verses of it will be here for, for ages. But looking at Psalm, uh, just Psalm 1 tonight and a few verses uh, we're going to consider together. Can I just check you can hear him talking? Yeah, yeah, can hear you. Perfect. Okay, so in that case then, this book of Psalms that we are uh, looking at reads uh, like this. Uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So that's our six verses that we're going to um, that we're going to consider uh, tonight. Uh, that, as when we read them, we're going to learn from them. We're going to see examples in not just this, but in the Psalms themselves of people that have uh, mountaintop experiences with God, and these people that go on to, to do amazing things. They question who they are and why they are here. They go on to question uh, the, some of the difficulties that they face. But ultimately, what we can take away from the book of Psalms is this, that every sermon we hear over the next few weeks, everything we consider about the book of Psalms is written about Jesus. And so in this opening chapter of this book about Christ, it will come as no surprise that the first chapter of the book of Jesus starts by outlining a description of Christ. In the first three verses, we get this, uh, this depiction of who Jesus is. He is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He is the man who does not stand in the way of sinners. He is the man who does not sit in the seat of scoffers and so on. So this man who is being described here is in the relation to the law of God. Jesus is the only man who can stand against the law of God, having upheld it completely. You see, he is the perfection of that law. Alistair Begg uh, had this to say about him. Alistair Begg's quote on him was this. No, it wasn't that. It was this. Jesus is the prototype of Psalm 1, and he invites us all to join what he has started. So Jesus is the prototype of Psalm 1, 
and he invites us all to join what he has started. So the six virtues we're, we're going to consider, I want to break down into two sections. The first of which is this, the righteous shall prosper, or the righteous prosper. If we're to prosper as righteous people, we need to realise this, that we need to imitate Christ as that leads to life. You see, verse 1 starts with, blessed is the man. If we imitate Jesus, we are a blessed people. That blessing is contentment and joy in God. You see, contentment is something that the world seems to have overlooked. There are thousands of books written on finding happiness, how to be happy, how to be, how to have self, or how to self-help, how to encourage, and we could go on and on and on. Yet contentment, that's an entirely different matter. You see, contentment is about being happy with what you have. This is not about looking for things or how to make ourselves better or whatever. It's being happy with where we are. And the psalm then moves on to look at three physical acts. To walk, to stand, and to sit. You see, none of these acts are accidental. In the context of this verse, it typifies a behavioural choice. You see, we have a, a behavioural choice to make as the people of God as to where we walk, where we stand or where we sit when it comes to sin and wickedness. Do we walk, stand or sit as Jesus would have us? And do we walk, stand or sit that shows us that we are imitating Christ? You see, to be blessed by God because of walking with and in him gives us a sense of worth and a delight in his ways. You see, there will be people out there who will tell you that human beings are not special, that we are not the pinnacle of God's creation, that we are just the same as every other animal species on earth. We are, or we just are, or we just exist, and that our minds are the result of an endless unguided process. And on whatever we do, or whatever we don't do, we just dance to the music of our DNA. You see, that's completely wrong. We are more than that. We are built and put on this earth to have a relationship with God. It is a the relationship with God is a complete contradiction to that belief. A relationship with God brings a tremendous sense of worth. Have you noticed, however, that people are told they are nothing special? and are just animals. There is shock and horror when people behave like animals. Have you noticed that? That if somehow these things resonate to the surface, they come racing to the top, you tell somebody they're an animal, and then they behave like it, and all of a sudden it's a complete shock. Yet we are not an animal. We are more than that. We are a living being who have the breath of God within us, who are created for his purposes. To be blessed by God because we are we walk, we stand or sit, marks us out as something special. How do we know the ultimate reality that human beings are special? Jesus became one. He didn't become just one. He became the son of man. And he died on the cross to ensure that those who imitate him in everything that he does will have life 
and life in all its fullness. So how do we do that then? It's simple. We imitate Christ, which leads to life. And see, the second thing, uh, the second subheading you like is this. It is obedience. In verse 2, we said earlier that Jesus was the only man who was completely obedient to the law of God. And the only man to fulfill it completely who never sinned. He had to be that only man that could do that. Because if he didn't, then his substitutionary death on the cross is null and void. So as we to be a people who imitate Christ, we need to be a people who are obedient to the same law. And not just to be obedient by way of following orders, but rather to submit to the law of God and to follow it completely. So you could very well say to me, actually, come on, it is impossible for us to follow the law of the Lord without making a mistake, without getting it wrong, without sinning, and you'll be right. But in the context of our passage, that isn't what the text says. The text says delight. And if you delight in something, you take great pleasure in whatever that thing is. And for us, our goal is to take great pleasure in putting God first in our lives. And one of the ways that we can take pleasure in the law of the Lord is to read it, is to understand it, is to act upon it, is to share it with our friends and our neighbours, as we considered this morning. The challenge here is this. If we want to find true blessing, or what you could read as true blessing is this, a true happiness, true blessing, happiness, blessing, or contentment, then that is found in a close relationship with the Lord. Walking and talking with him day by day. See, one of my most favorite pictures in scripture is in Genesis. It comes at a bit of a bit of a, a downturn in humanity. Adam and Eve have sinned and they're in hiding and they're embarrassment and they're hidden out the way. And what does it say? Genesis 3 tells us that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. I don't think for one minute that that was the first time that that happened. I think for God, this is a very ordinary thing to walk amongst his creation, to see their enjoyment of his creation. Adam and Eve and God had this relationship before the fall. Permit me to take a little bit of license with this. Adam and Eve are relaxing after working in the garden. And God walks up and, and strikes up a conversation. And ultimately, what are we left with a picture of? We're left with a picture of relationship. They are there enjoying each other. This is before Genesis 3 now. You imagine this picture of God and Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. They're enjoying each other's company. And we have a, a picture of what our relationship with God is to be like. Only to this time the conversation isn't face to face. It's through the word of God. And just as Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 tells us, in various times and in various ways, God has spoken to us through the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us through his son. You see, the result of all this closeness, this relationship, and with contentment in God is this, that we are to be trees that produce fruit. 
You see, these words were written originally to people understood, uh, who rather who understood an arid and harsh desert. So to see a tree produce fruit or to see trees that produces fruit from an arid and harsh environment would mean something to the people. For a Christian, our world is the same, an arid and harsh environment. And the only way we can show people a different world is by imitating Christ, by being obedient to him and being trees that produce fruit. You see, that is the, the opening gambit of Psalms. It's this lesson in life for all of us, these three things. That if we do not walk, stand or sit in a way that Psalm 1 talks about, that we are a people who will be righteous and a people who, as righteous people, will prosper. So secondly, we come to the last half of our chapter. We come to the people who are wicked, the people who will perish. You see, the Bible is clear in its instruction. What shapes your life shapes your mind. Or what shapes your mind shapes your life. Paul lays that out in Romans 12. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we are to prosper as Christians, we need to have our minds renewed and be transformed. If we fail to do that, we perish. And if we come to the last verses, we will see why. The verses three to six then serve, or rather four to six, serve as a warning to us. We see it all around us at times, don't we? And sometimes we're confused by it. The, the wicked seemingly prospering in jobs, in media, in the world around us. Some of wicked people driving Bentleys while God's people have to scrape for the next meal. It doesn't seem fair at times. Yet we are told that the wicked are blown away like chaff. The rubbish that has no real value, no substance, and what is left over at the end of the harvest. Remember, this is talking about eternity. Remember the words of Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So this apparent success of the wicked is temporal. They will be blown away like the rubbish at the end of the harvest. You see, John the Baptist picked up this theme in the winnowing fork in the hand of the servant of God. The wheat is harvest, harvested and everything else is thrown up in the air when the fork is raised. You see, the world must have us believe that death is the end. And nothing else in scripture would teach that man is destined to die. And after that, face judgment. Because the world must have us believe that death is the end. Yet scripture would teach us that man is destined to die. And after that, face judgment. You see, but there will be times where God, however, will not wait until the end for judgment. Look what has happened in our history, in, our, in living memory, as our planet, that has come about as a direct result of sin. You see, people did not see fit to honour God. This is Romans 1. People did not see fit to honour God, so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. The warning is clear from Scripture. Paul creates a harsh reality of the iniquity of Rome. But that harsh reality is equal to today's society. Only now, I would suggest to you, it's less frowned upon in public life. And in many cases, it's celebrated as an expression of who you really are. Or promoted as an opportunity to be yourself, to be the real you. 
and forgive me for this, but to hell with the consequences. You see, that is the world's view at the moment. There are people out there who, because of their choice to be wicked, and that they bear the imprint on their bodies, the judgment of God. You see, this message in Psalm 1 isn't politically correct. But it doesn't need to be. Because it's the message that the world needs to hear. However, my caveat, as always, I have a caveat with these things, is this. We have a message that isn't politically correct. We have a message that is guaranteed to offend. But friends, when we are sharing this message, let the offence come from Scripture, not from us. That is made very clear, that we are not to offend people. Jesus never offended anybody by his actions. We are called to love them and share the message of Jesus with them. So verse 5 then. The wicked will not stand in judgment. There will come a day when the wicked will face the judgment of God, just like we will. But the difference is the wicked will not be able to hold their own. You see, the picture of God's judgment is that it may happen at any time. You see, the Jewish reader will recognize this, and so should we. As we look back throughout Scripture, we see the judgment of God happening at seemingly any time. Picture the scene of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now you imagine being Abram. As a man whom God said, I will deliver you. As a man whom God said, I will make you great. And that same God poured out destruction and judgment on that city as it was consumed. Fast forward several hundred years, the Israelites are carried off to another empire and forced into slavery in the judgment of God. You see, the judgment of God is the ultimate end for the wicked, and they will face God as their judge, and after that, eternal right of separation from him. How do I get that? Well, the same verse tells us that they will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. You see, when the sheep and the goats are separated, when the door to the wedding banquet is shut and the words depart from thee, I never knew you, ring out amongst the wicked. The wicked will perish, as it says in the closing verse of our psalm. God does not hold back in this book. The psalmist does not hold back in this psalter. It is open and honest. The wicked will perish. But the encouragement for us is this. As we are people who know the Lord, the Lord knows the ways of the righteous. God knows that the ways of his people and we will spend eternity with him when he comes to take us to very where he is. We thought very briefly as Kevin introduced that to us this morning. We had that thought there that one day we will go to be with Jesus. And so by way of a final challenge as we go into the week is this. The hardest thing about this psalm is that there is no middle ground. People are either righteous or wicked. Blessed are the righteous, cursed are the wicked. This all begins to get uncomfortable when we start to apply those statements to people we love. 
Blessed are the righteous, cursed are the wicked. It gets even more uncomfortable when we start to put faces to that statement. Our friends, our family, our immediate friends, our immediate family, our colleagues, our children, whomever it is that we love, it should make us uncomfortable to think of that person who does not know the Lord. What does the Bible say about them? They are wicked and they will perish. I don't say that to celebrate in it. I don't say that to revel in the joy of it. I say it because the choice that the the, the the option is on us. What can we do? Share with them, love them, and show God's message of grace to them. How do the wicked avoid perish perishing? It's this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is big stuff, and it's daunting, but it's our relationship, it's our responsibility to share the message with the world who, as we sit here tonight, is perishing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this psalm tonight. We thank you that, Father, we have the privilege of being able to sit here and call ourselves righteous. But, Lord, not because of anything that we've done. Father, your word reminds us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. But, Father, we have the privilege tonight of being able to call ourselves righteous because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because of what he achieved at Calvary. Yet, Father, we look upon a world of friends, of family, of loved ones who are wicked. Who, as the psalmist would say, will perish. Father, give us a heart for the lost, we pray. Father, give us a desire to yearn for their salvation. Father, give us a desire to want and see people saved and added to your kingdom. Father, we have a message that can save them from the very gates of hell itself. And so, Father, charge us, we pray. Strengthen us, give us boldness to go out and share the message that the people we meet. But, Father, we thank you that we preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And so, Lord, as we consider this psalm this evening, as we've considered its challenges, Lord, impress these words upon our heart in Jesus' name. Amen.